0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Clubhouse Podcast. My name is Tom Irwin, and I am joined today by my regular, irregular co-host Steve Carroll. It has been irregular, hasn't it? It's been very irregular. Apparently, this is this four weeks since we've done one of these together,
1: and we really shouldn't be doing one this week either. Tom, should we?
0: <laughs> what? Because my um, my minor illness. My nail mate. You're
1: not feeling. You're not feeling too well at all. No. I've got
0: COVID again.
1: I was I was arguing in the office that you might, you might have set some sort of Guinness World Record for the amount of times one person can have COVID. How many times have you? had it I'm now? not
0: sure. I've actually lost count. It's either five or six. Um, I think I should be going on sort of GMTV or something, or I'm in the Star. It's the sort of thing the Star cover, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, with a picture of you, like, laid up in bed with a hot water blanket and a towel Something on Something to do with a
0: gerbil. <laughs> oh,
1: no. I, I, see, I see we've cleaned up our act in the past month.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm quite so susceptible to COVID. I keep testing in the hope that... It's a funny thing, because you sort of have these funny symptoms, and people obviously think, oh, he's obviously not that ill. Then you do a COVID test, and I was like, ooh.
1: Have you... Um, so, like, on a scale of... Where on the scale of like where the uh, where the red line shows is it like light or is it like on fire? Do you think
0: that's like a thing, dear?
1: Oh yeah, definitely yeah, definitely. When I had it, um, the first day I had it, like the line was really light, and the second or third day I tested. This is when you had to test like every day. Um, it was like compulsory, wasn't it? I, if I, if my memory serves, the second or third day, it was like basically just bleeding off into the rest of the kitchen. It was so black. It was so. Well, it's a
0: funny thing. It's all. A bit, it's all. We've all gone a bit retro here, haven't we? With COVID chat, I've got a very dark red line this morning. I would say it's sort of almost maroon.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Why are we doing this? Why did? Why are you not in bed?
0: Because yeah, I'm bored. I'm a brain, aren't I? Because I. Don't... <laughs> This, I'll tell you what, one of the reasons I've done this podcast is because they flipping kids' holidays. I don't know what you've been doing.
1: The same.
0: The same. The same.
1: The very the same.
0: The same. The very same. So I sort of started feeling covid when I was, like, gumping around Alton Towers on Monday. Thought, oh, we'll go to Alton Towers on Monday. It'll be quiet because all the schools have gone back. Oh, no. It's a local school inset day as well, so it's literally the busiest day of the year. Uh, And then the following day, to sort of offset the kind of chadness of Alton Towers, we decided we were going to walk up a hill in the Peak District, which is just absolutely ideal. It's what you want to be doing, isn't it, with a round six of COVID. I know what I'll do. I'll walk up some Scarfell Pike, whatever it's called. Anyway, so that was bad.
1: I think... It's probably important for anyone who's listening, who's still like in pandemic mode, to note that at that point when Tom went to Alton Towers and went up the hill, he did not know. Oh yeah, no, had I didn't. Yeah.
0: good point. And now very responsibly isolating, so
1: you have indeed. Yeah, I haven't seen you for there weeks.
0: You uh, and other than that, it's all been very. It's all been very school holiday. I had a week in Northumbria, Thumberland, Northumbria, Thumblum, Thumberland, I Don't know which one is it, Northumberland. Right. Took my kids to the Morpeth Golf Centre. Also, took my kids to play the 12 holler at Wyke. That was quite good.
1: I refused to pay school holiday prices. We wanted to go to Edinburgh. I had a brief look at hotels and thought, no. I mean, I, it, it is a bad time to go to Edinburgh in August because I think it's fringe, isn't it? Um, so I may go. I may. I may revisit this at the end of October half term. But I took one look at the prices and said. We'll just have a holiday at home, Amy.
0: So you're going to be one of these people who ends up taking their kids out of school to get some cheaper prices?
1: No, I wouldn't say so. Amy had 100% attendance last year and she was like massively thrilled about it, like more thrilled than someone should be about having to go to school every day. Um, But
0: she she genuinely loves it. That means she's got some credit in the bank. she would probably have like a sabbatical if she's done 100% last year.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I, I, I do have family who live on the other side of the world who I would like to visit at some point, so I'm ba- we need to bank that credit yeah. and hopefully not and hopefully not get a fine.
0: Anyway, so it's been an absolute disaster of a period for the From the Clubhouse podcast. A, I've played literally no golf since uh, work round a couple of weeks ago, and B, we haven't been in the same place, have we, since a long time. You did have a very cool podcast with Jeff Shackleford. Did you enjoy that?
1: I did, um, and his book is a very good book, um, and you can you can buy it by clicking on the podcast story on our website, because there's a link there to buy the book from our good friends at Amazon.
0: Golf Architecture for Normal People.
1: It's such a great title, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's such a great title.
0: I need to give it a listen. I haven't listened to it yet. And then you've also been playing an absolute ton of golf.
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't Come say but good of golf, but, 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 when, but you know, when, you, when you accept that I generally play very little golf, um, I have at least got into the habit of playing once a week for about the last six weeks.
0: And this has sort of been an, in- an interesting thing because approximately eight podcasts ago, you sort of committed to um, submitting every single round you played uh, or every single, what's the word? every single round you're able to under the new WHS system, which sort of means you can't put in uh, match play rounds, etc.
1: Absolutely, I've got a bone to pick with oh, you yeah. there because, yes, I did um, commit on that podcast to putting in every single round I played for the rest of the competition season, but so did you. Yeah, I have done.
0: I just haven't played very much. But the only rounds I haven't submitted were my Irish rounds. Was that
1: pre? Yes, it was pre. That was, it was, was pre. Was, that like
0: the, was it like the week before? It was pre. <laughs> I went to Ireland before <laughs> you. You went to Ireland and you uh, used the new system. That wasn't a, available to me. And I was playing with that he was in an absolute hump. And basically, and he only played about half the rounds. So he's got walked rounds. So he's so annoyed by his golf. So we sort of set off with the best of intentions. I've got the cards if you'd like me to submit them.
1: It's probably a bit late now, but okay. I mean, like four months later, uh, but, but your general point is correct, yes. Uh, ever man, since just, the middle of May. before we
0: move on, I would like some, I don't want an apology, no. but like I have submitted, i had a week when I just submitted 82s for a week because of this nonsense.
1: You know, we're friends. You have played rounds where you've not submitted your score though, because I've, t- I've taken you I up haven't. on it,
0: Donian Island. I played that round at Scarcroft with the people from the office and shot seventy-one, got and got my handicap down to a much more agreeable one. Uh and that's it. So you'll be
1: getting like two shots now, won't you, in a lot of yes, the time. Steve,
0: that's like stop it. Right. Yep. <laughs> well like,
1: oh God, you've you've put more scores than I have in.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd a week out of this I haven't what happened to me was that I played open qualifying, international series qualifying, 36-hole scratch my golf club and my 36-hole scratch medal. And that's basically the entirety of my golf for the year. And I did it in one week and shot 82 every time I played.
1: Excellent yeah. stuff. Uh, I have Like some pillowcase like rocked
0: up to roll a mar- run a marathon with no training or something.
1: <laughs> so we got off the beaten track there because I obviously clearly owe you an apology. I'm sorry, Tom. Um, for, for doubting you, but the point at hand was, and what you were getting to before I rudely interrupted you with false claims, you could you could like sue me for slander here. Um, you could the point you were getting to was, yes, I did pledge on this very podcast that I would put every single score in until the end of the club season. Um, this week I wrote an update piece on how I've been getting on from the first three and a half months can, can of I our just, website, national.org.au.com.
0: Why, why did we do this pledge in the first place? What was the, I can't remember what the, the purpose of it was, to sort of demonstrate that it was possible, to see what the effect would be on our handicap. It
1: feels to me like it was some sort of drunken bet.
0: I, po- I think the point was that we were, people are sort of bleating on about how the system is manipulatable, um, and how putting in every card is not really feasible because the different types of golf that we play. Um, and I think that the kind of counterpoint to that is that if you do submit every card, then your handicap will ultimately end up in the right place. Um, and once we get in the habit of it, then that might become the norm. So you've sort of set out to to test that, haven't you? Yes. Um, so how many how many round? When did you start? March.
1: No, it was May. Okay, my first round I think was May the twentieth.
0: So I'm looking at your uh, England Golf app now. So on Saturday, May the twentieth, you embarked on this quest, and it led to you shooting an 84 at York.
1: Good start, huh? (laughs) So do you? I mean, like, I mean, like, strap yourself in, listeners, because it gets worse. So do
0: do you know how many rounds you've submitted then since May the twentieth?
1: Yeah, 15.
0: 15. So that is like all of June, all of July, and all of August. It's basically a sort of pretty square three months, isn't it? Three and a bit months. Yeah,
1: three and yeah. a half. Yeah, three and a half.
0: Yeah. Um. So you're tracking at basically one a week.
1: Yeah, and I, I had a month in July where I basically didn't play because obviously work and the Open and stuff like that. But there'll so so there'd be a lot um, of I,
0: golfers like that who are playing, on average, one a week. Yeah. So you are quite a good yeah. kind of. Um, are you a mean a norm?
1: I, I I would say, like certainly for working people, I am the norm. I would have yeah. thought one week, once a week, maybe occasionally you get a midweek round you in there. The,
0: mo- you, maybe you're the mode. Are you?
1: Hmm. Is it the? I think it is the, the mean, mean, isn't the it? The
0: mode, the mean's the average.
1: Yeah, I'm the average golfer.
0: <laughs> no, that's someone else. That's that. <laughs> that's that bloke with the YouTube channel, isn't it? He was also called Andy Sullivan, which is very confusing when sometimes people say you're playing with Andy Sullivan, and you go, ooh, and then you go, ah.
1: <laughs> so, Moving swiftly on, um, I have played 15 rounds, yes.
0: Uh, well, that's a good effort, I think, what with all of your other commitments. <clears throat> right then, so how many counting rounds have you managed to pick up during that 15-round period?
1: You mean that scores that are now counting? I didn't really think about it like that.
0: Um, I can tell you the answer because I'm looking at your green blobs.
1: There'll be a few now, actually, because I picked up a bit. Four. It's just one, two, three, four. Uh, Yeah. Oh, no, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Sorry, stalking. Um, Dashboard. One, two, three, four.
0: 5
1: 5 yeah 5 because that one on may the 20th counts as well right that was the first one
0: so five altogether so basically one in three of your rounds
1: yeah I would have thought but they are and they are making up five of my best eight so they are
0: do we think that do we think that um 5 out of 15 is like that that sort of tells us you've been in good form
1: I'm not sure what it tells us, it, um, to be honest. Um, it feels like that. I, I, I mean, if I think if you, I mean, look for people who want to see him, um, I'm prepared to publish them. I published some of them on the piece. There's no secret about my rounds. Um, my, my golf since May has been dreadful, absolutely dreadful, like off the charts bad. Actually, compared to how I used to play a few years ago, apart from one golden weekend in August. Um, where i basically shot seventy eight and seventy eight on consecutive weekends um and that has basically put me right back where i started so you're gonna you're gonna ask me where i was and where i am i started at ten point nine i'm currently ten point nine um fifteen rounds in but largely my golf's been there's there was one or two rounds that was all right, that have been all right but largely my golf has been tragic um i am um, i was a single-figure handicapper, as Tom reminds me, and I have now come to accept I'm not a single-figure handicapper anymore. And in fact, for a lot of this season, I've not even been an 18 handicapper, really. I've put some very high scores in. But then I had this amazing weekend on the back of one of the best golf lessons I've ever had on the Tuesday um, so I'm going to big up Mark Rogers at York Golf Club because he just gave me something that I could immediately visualise, and then I went into that weekend first shot I hit on the on the um, on the range. I thought that's different, um, and then shot 78, 78.
0: So I guess part of the I don't want to be so sort of offensive about it, but for for amateur players and for club golfers like ourselves a lot of this stuff is stop clock stuff isn't it like if you play enough occasionally you're going to have a good round right
1: yeah yeah there are all there are obvious reasons as well which we can talk about but ultimately so i had a very good lesson which helped but ultimately as well i got to a point in my handicap where i just got enough shots back where i thought i'm pretty competitive here now um and whether that's in my head or not It does give you a feeling, it does give you a different feeling on a golf course. So, the first time I shot that 78, I'd played so poorly over the previous few months that my course handicap had gone up to 14. Um, So, I was getting 13 off the playing handicap. I mean, you've played with me enough, Tom. I know I've played some bad golf, but I am not a 14 handicapper. I'm better than that. Um, And so, I walked onto the tee that day and I thought, crikey, I've got a lot of shots Mm. here. Um, and then I got off to a good start and then you get off to a good start. You get a bit of confidence. Don't you You roll a few putts in and it metamorphoses. And then what happened to me was I got cut 0.8, I think for that round, um, because I hadn't really stopped to think about how I would be cut. And we can talk about this actually, cause it's an important point, how you're cut and how you're not cut, but I got cut 0.8. So I shot net 65 and I went into the competition the next week having been cut 0.8. And I just thought I'm gonna do this again. Yeah. yeah. I've got loads in hand still. And I did. I shot net sixty six this time because I'd lost a shot. I shot 40 stable for
0: points. So So have you now and have you now come down again?
1: Yeah, so now I'm down da- so now I'm down to ten point nine well, I, I was down to ten point seven. I had a counting round that came off about two weeks ago, so I've just dropped back up to ten point nine. But I'm exactly where I started.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that is interesting in itself, isn't it? How has it been when you sort of turn up to play a social round rather than a competition round and you sort of know that you've got this commitment to put your card in, how has that affected your brains?
1: Um, In many ways, although I'm getting more used to it now. So, um, firstly, I think you've got to get into a social group. If you're not, if you're playing a social round, you have to get into a social group where everyone's comfortable with the fact that you're going to put a score in. So, um, my playing partner that I play with from Newcastle, he doesn't really like to put scores in. Um, so then he has to put up with me while I put a score in all the way around. And, um, That is a bit different because normally we'd have gimmies and pickups and things like that, and obviously I'm having to haul out, so I'm treating it very, very seriously. He might not be treating it quite as seriously as I am. He's just acting as my marker. When you're doing it in a club environment, my home club, um, and I'm playing sort of in a three or a a four ball perhaps, then you've got to be very, very clear to the people that you're playing from the the outset that I'm doing this. I, I say it to them. I say it to them, Tom, before we even get on the tee, I say, I've been putting every round in for handicap. This is, this is what I'm doing today. You just need to be aware of that. Um, and when you do it through the England golf app or when you do it generally, I mean, you don't have to necessarily do it as medal. Um, so, you know, the, the England golf app will count it in Stableford points as well, which does allow you to pick up, you know, when you're past net double bogey and so on, but it, but it does take some getting used to, and you do have to be a bit clear with your playing partners about what you're going to do. I don't think they'd be very happy if I like got onto the first green with them and then suddenly I, they're all picked up because they can't score or they've had their gimmies because it's a fun game. And I'm basically like toiling over a three and a half footer. Um, I do think you have to be clear. So that, that is, that is a bit different.
0: Yeah, so I think that you sort of erred into the, uh, the realm of, of playing partners there, and that I think is something to talk about. Um, I was more wondering, like about what do you think the impact's been on your golf? So um, previously there might have been like a very clear distinction between, oh, this is a social round, this is a competition round, and you kind of get that pomp and ceremony that comes with the competition day. But the, there's a, the other side of that is that when you turn up for a knock, you might hit driver a bit more. You might not look at your puts for quite so long. Um, your kind of attitude might be different. You might be trying a new club out. You might try hitting different clubs off tees. You, te- you treat them more as a social round or a practice round. That's a different thing. But if you're saying, all right, I'm submitting every, every card, then... Is that out of the window, or are you still doing that sort of thing and then taking what comes, or are you, are you finding that each round is probably slightly more disciplined than it was previously?
1: Um, I'm treating it like a competition. Yeah, I'm treating every round as if it's a competition, and um, I've got to tell you, I don't like it. Mm. I don't like it. Uh, that's just me. That's just me personally. I, I, I've been contacted since the piece went out by a lot of people who talk to me who say they do put every round in, just a standard they really like it um, they really think they've got a very accurate handicap as a result it's a really good judge of their form um, maybe this has been hurt by the fact that I've played some pretty awful golf over that period but I've just been at times Tom I've just been largely miserable doing it um, you know as I've racked up another Like, let me give you an example right I was at Hartlepool on, on Sunday um, and I was putting another score in obviously and I went round the first nine and 18 points, so carrying on the form. And then I proceeded to score five points in five holes on the back nine. And I just, I just like, I was just, here we go again. Um, and you, I just, you just don't think about this stuff when you're playing a social round. I hit a double bogey. If I play with you, Tom, we just go for a knock round or Woodley. And I hit a double bogey. I don't care. Right, I don't, I don't care about it. We just move on to the next hole and off we go. And handicap chiefs will say, "Well, yeah, just just shoot your score and just just play you around and, and don't worry about the score." Well, the fact is, I do worry about the score. I don't like racking up big scores in competitions. It irritates me, um, and I can't get that competitive thing out of my head, even though I'm playing around that's not competitive in the same way as playing an event. And I found that distinction like really difficult. Between general play and 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 competition play as well, because in my while I'm saying that I try and treat every shot like a competition, and I do, it isn't. There's not the same buzz over a three footer when you think you might make a prize. There's not the same tension um, as you know. I'm stood on the 18th tee. I've looked at the leaderboard. And I know a five will get me in the clubhouse in the lead. It's just it's just not it's not the same. So even though it all counts the same in terms of the score, it's not the same buzz for me. It's not the same adrenaline. And then when I'm playing badly, as I have been for quite a while, I just find it more difficult to keep myself going. I do keep myself going because you've got to, you can't just, every score counts. So you can't just like drop your, your guards, but you know it's just not it's not for me i i I like social golf and competition golf to be distinctive and what i can say to you is i've committed to this until the end of october i'm going to do it until the end of october and then i'm going to stop doing it
0: (laughs) so has there been any like on the other side of that then so when you've turned up to play in your monthly medal or whatever else have you felt less het up because it's just more normal to be writing down every score
1: yeah, I mean, possibly. Um, I, I I would concede that um, because it's just it's just another game that counts. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel any particularly. I haven't felt particularly any more stressed in a competition. But I, but I tell you, like because obviously those two seventy eights, I won the second day of my comp, of my club's annual handicap medal, and I competed in the trophy um the following week i think i finished fifth i think i finished second in division um i definitely had the adrenaline coming down the stretch in those events that i would not have when putting the same score in the general play event yeah it's great to play well but it's just not the same feeling it is right
0: so you possibly sort of first teeny nerves are sort of slightly diluted because you're just thinking well i'm setting out just to put another handicap card in but then if you happen yeah. to be having a good day, then you still get that sort of bit of extra pump, if you like, when you when you think you might be in, the, in with a chance of winning a pot.
1: Yeah. If we check out my first hole scores, they're actually pro- probably pretty good.
0: Mm, I'm a very bad starter. Um, um, the, the, I think one of the, the things you touched on there was just, um, or perhaps you didn't touch on it, but you definitely sort of prompted something in my brain is that if you're, if you're submitting cards and no one else is, then that, I think, becomes problematic. Um, you're sort of so aware, aren't you, that people are trying to get to the next tee, whereas you're still lining up your three-footer. Um, and it is impossible to give that the same um, diligence that you would do if everybody was in that sort of competition mode. Um, so I still I still think that is something that massively needs ironing out. I don't know if you've kind of had any of that where you, your playing partners have been edging away whilst you're still doing your putting.
1: Not really, because a lot of my way-arounds, I play with a particular person who's pretty understanding of what I'm doing, Um, so he's on board with it. Some of my home social rounds, in inverted commas, that I've played at York, I've played with a guy who is trying to get his first handicap. So it's actually every score counts for him as well. Um, And I think if you can get that collective of people where – You're all on the same page with it, then I think it works really, really nicely. I do think, though, that there is, you know, I have definitely said to people, it's only been occasionally because of the way I've played my golf, but I've definitely said to playing partners who've said, I'm not putting a score in, I am. And there's definitely been a bit of them, you know, looking at their watch.
0: Yeah. So, sorry, are you saying you're playing with someone who's getting their first handicap? Is this some sort of care in the community scheme or something?
1: No, no, he's a mate who's just joined the club. Um, he's, um, you know, he's like he's he's in a very similar boat to, to to how I was and still am, largely to to a certain extent. He doesn't have a massive um, pool of people with which to play at the moment because he's brand new. Um, he works full time, and we bumped into each other one day, and he's now trying to get his first handicap, first official handicap. He is a good player. He's not a he's not a fifty-four or a thirty-six, he's more like a fifteen. Yeah. He just hasn't he just hasn't got an official oh, it's handicap. Not his first there. handicap, so, then. Um,
0: Here was me thinking you were like sort of helping out the the kind of
1: Well it is his first handicap. He's never played he's never had a handicap before. Wow, It's
0: exciting. You reckon his first handicap is gonna be fifteen?
1: Around. He's a decent hitter of the ball. He's a good player. Cool.
0: Um so that's all pretty interesting stuff, Steve. And it's I think I mean, we were joking earlier about um, my experiences in Ireland. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, there is just something in the system which is just not quite right, isn't it? Isn't there? There's still too, there's kind of too, there's too much freedom, I guess, and there's too much, there's too much culturally that we're not, that we're not doing it. Like there were two people on our trip, and we both sort of said at the end, "Are we going to submit these cards?" And then we went, "No, I don't think so." And that was kind of that. that was yeah. the end of that.
1: I, there. There's a lot of things I like about WHS, and we can talk about away scores because I think there is. It's not an anomaly, but I think it is something interesting within away scores. But I think we also have to accept as well that this is an American system that's been shoehorned into the rest of the world. And the American culture of golf is a little bit different to ours. And the American culture of golf is absolutely about every score counts. And they have mechanisms which help them to do that, which is most likely score, for example, which would never fly here. Um, and, um, we are trying to work around, I think I've said, I think I've said this before, we are trying to work around a system that primarily I think is was originally designed to do something else and trying to fit it within our culture and that will have really good aspects about it um, such as being able to put in away scores um, at a lot of different courses Um, and it will have more problematic aspects about it which is the reality of this system is it thrives off regular inputs in my opinion I think I'm showing that because I've put 15 rounds in, I've put every score counts in, and my handicap is exactly the same as when I started doing it. So that suggests, doesn't it? It suggests to me that the the system does its job if you respect it in the correct manner, yeah,
0: right? Massively, yeah.
1: But you have to be, but you have to respect it in the correct manner. Um, and if you're not doing that, and I don't mean by cheating or anything like that, but if but if you're not putting in regular inputs then your handicap is not going to be accurate in the way that the system would previously judge it I I'm, yeah I mean I, th- I, th- I think the scores that I've put in that have had some really good ones we've had some really bad ones we've had some mediocre ones and here I am still right back where I started shows that it all levels out over time if you do if you do use it in the way in which it was designed to be, so what are you telling but we'll never, we'll ne- sorry, we'll never, Tom, we'll never have a situation in the UK where every score counts ever. Not, not in my, not in my <coughs> lifetime. I don't think. Just, just culturally, it's just too, it's just too different. So What are you
0: saying about um, away scores? Then I mean, you are so northern, aren't you? You like, you're like sneaky northern. You don't sound northern, but you like actually like basically Paul Gascoigne or something, aren't you? I can't think
1: I've been doing like a I've been doing a tour of the North East and County Durham.
0: Yeah. Hartleypool, Love. Seam, Hartlepool. Bishop Auckland. And then we've got Ballyliffin, Port Salon, Moortown. These are all away rounds in your numbers. I'm not noticing many green away ones, Steve.
1: Oh thank you. <laughs> which which is coming to the point uh, an interesting point that I think I made in the piece so i don't know whether there is anything in the world handicap system algorithm that accounts for the fact that it's probably harder to play away from home than it is at home uh, you 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 would probably say that course rating and slope would even itself out over time um, but i'm not sure that's that that's not my experience of it so with um, my within my fifteen rounds, I've played seven away from home and eight at home, and this is probably not enough data, which is why I'm going to carry on doing this for another couple of months so I can come back to you at the end in, in November, Tom, and say definitively either way what is the difference between away scores and home scores on my record. At the moment, the average differential is five shots different. I'm five shots worse away from home than I'm than I am at home. It's seventeen point three four against twelve point five now. Clearly, there'd be a couple of away rounds there that are very bad, and there are a couple of home rounds that are very good. So, they are uh, the scales probably aren't quite right. But give me another 10 rounds, hopefully, before the end of October, and we'll have a much clearer picture. But it did, it, you know, I've been playing these away rounds, been struggling rounds, and trying as best as I can. But I don't know some of the shot lines on courses I've played for the first time. I don't know where the hazards are. I don't really know how the greens slope. I have not the familiarity that I have with my home course, I've obviously played a lot of times. And I, and it just struck me that if I played a lot of away rounds to the point where they became a clear feature of my WHS record and I continued upon this trend, then those, those away rounds are going to start to artificially weigh, I think, on my home scores. And they're going to artificially affect my handicap. Um, and I, I, I sort of had the feeling that, so, like, I've, 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 I've had good home rounds dropping off that have not been replaced by away scores that have been so bad. My handicap has gone up as a result, result. And then I came back to York after like a month of being away and playing golf elsewhere, had a course handicap of 14, and rubbed my hands together and thought, come on, I've got loads here. Um, do you see where I'm getting at? I'm not
0: sure. I'm no, no, I don't, I don't well. exactly what you mean, yeah. I guess there's, there, I mean, there's something in that, isn't there? The, it depends where you play, perhaps. Um, so I I obviously play at Old Woodley and it's difficult Um, so I'm kind of quite relieved but we don't seem to benefit from that in any kind of um, course rating so particularly off the yellows it's just I think you get one extra uh, as in the course rating 71 rather Um, and you certainly don't get any extra handicap shots but the course is still pretty hard there's lots of heather there's lots of trees etc So then, going to play at a kind of um, a more moderate sort of parkland with less rough, no heather, um, probably a little bit shorter, often feels like a bit of a relief. Um, And there is quite a number of those places where the kind of the course rating is not a million miles away from par. Um, So there is that aspect too. I think it depends where you play and what you sort of what you are coming back to versus where you've been. So I mean, if you've been and shot a very high score at some windy kind of monolithic Irish links Um, and then you come back to the home comforts of Strensel I can kind of understand why um, one one might be more manageable than another the other side of it is just the sort of demons that your home course creates I think there'll be a lot of people and I think I'm maybe among them is that I play a lot of my best golf away certainly almost all of my very low scores have been away from home because um, you're kind of not aware of the problems. You've got no baggage with a particular shot or a particular hole. Um and there's a bit more freedom to it therefore. And you, you kind of yeah, you're not you're not wrestling with what's gone before and that sort of newness kind of helps my golf. But I do get what you I do understand what you're driving at, is that um you can you could come back from a, an Irish trip kind of laden with some extra shots, um either deliberately or unwittingly. Um, so it is an interesting point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and a point I also made in my piece was I think if you don't mind me saying, you're a good golfer, um, and I think for good golfers, it's who who are more skilled, it's probably easier to transfer form wherever they play as compared to someone like me, who's just a hacker.
0: So you think that actually you've you for you for a kind of um, mid handicap golfer, the if you find a way to do it at your own course, and you need you need time to find the way to do it at the Away course, where an away course just is just going to be receptive to good shots like any other. I th- yeah, there probably is yeah. something in that, isn't there? And I guess that for people who are playing a lot of their golf at the same place week in week out, they'd almost have a sort of bag set up that suited that club, right? As in, this is the club I hit off the eighth tee, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that there's de- there's definitely something in that. Um,
1: yeah, and you know I've gone and played courses as well which have lower course rating and slope ratings than the ones i've played off and i've invariably played off the yellow t's as well and not the back t's um so the differentials obviously obviously alter but um i have found that i found some of these courses that have lower slope ratings than the one i'm playing at to be much harder for me than i'd anticipate now gotta say here that slope rating is it's it's not a It goes up in a diagonal, obviously, on a graph, but it's not a straight line for golfers because the slope rating is obviously based on the bogey golfer, isn't it? I am not a bogey golfer, um, even though I've been playing like one, uh, but I'm not a bogey golfer. So you can't can't draw the line between difficulty in the same way. But I, I found some of these away courses that I've played on to be tremendously difficult for various reasons, elevation that I'm not used to, lots of wind, maybe particularly slopy greens, uh, hazards that, that I haven't anticipated, blind shots, etc. cetera. Um, so I've put in these bad scores, even though I've tried my best, they've knocked out good scores from my home club that has then affected my handicap, given me more shots and brought me back to my home club, where I've then gone, wow.
0: Yeah. Well, that is interesting. And it's an interesting project, so I hope you do stick with it until – yeah, I until will. the clocks go back.
1: A commitment has been made. I will carry it's on. It's also the closing of
0: date of the I martini, isn't it? How are you getting on the martini?
1: I've not put a single score what? in, um, but I do. Ha- as I've recorded all my scores, it should be quite easy to do, shouldn't it?
0: Why on earth have you not put any scores in?
1: Because I've just haven't done it. I, I, for- I keep forgetting about it. Um, but the great thing is, I record all my scores, Tom. So it'll be easy to do,
0: right? Well, I think I'm actually doing all right in the Martini.
1: I haven't had many, twos.
0: Martini, listeners, is uh, a competition that we play internally at our company. Um, it's something we picked up from somebody, something at my golf club. Martini is from the old 80s advert, anytime, place, anywhere. Um, so you can record any score in any numbered hole to give you the best, um, what's the word, eclectic score. Um, throughout the season. So it starts when the clocks go forward and it um, it ends when the clocks go back. Um, and it's pretty good. We've handicapped it this year, which I don't like. Uh, but I think I'm like a third or something. Anyway, so the idea is that you, you certainly need to get rid of all your fours um, and then you're just in a quest for, for twos. So people spend a lot of the season trying to seek out golf courses that start or end with a par three to try and kind of get an edge on the field. It's pretty good. Keeps you interested.
1: I am a, I am a former champion.
0: I am a former champion. I was the champion, then of course the, everyone handicapped it, and I think you won in the first year of the uh, the handicap martini.
1: I did. I think I was. I think I'd been on a similar vein. I got up to thirteen or something, and then went to nine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in the old handicap
1: ways, yeah. this is obviously just what I do with golf, Tom. I sort of get up to fourteen, think, oh, I've got way too many shots, then play some good golf, get back into single figures, and then go, oh no, I'm no good again.
0: Yeah. Um. You've also been writing about the golf ball rollback, haven't you?
1: I have indeed. Yes. Um, so I was on as I was on I was on holiday last week, and um, England Golf put out a press release on their website, well, a comment on their website about um, the USGA and RNA's and model local rule. Which um, I'm going to have to explain this now, aren't I? Um, the RNA and the USGA uh, are determined to do something about distancing golf. They think that hitting distances are hurting the game. So, in their last update, which the comment period for which is just finished, I think last month, um, they advocated a model local rule, which they probably won't like me saying this, but the reality is it essentially bifurcates the game because the model local rule would allow elite players competition organizers to bring in essentially a tournament ball that met certain specifications. Um, if I remember rightly, they're talking about um, certain testing threshold for certain club head speeds, swing speeds, and it would knock off about 15 yards, they reckon, off the top professional players. Um, the controver- that Obviously, that's very controversial um, because who'll bring it in, who'll not bring it in? The PGA Tour very recently said they wouldn't support the model local rule in its local in its current form. The P.G.A.s of America have said something quite uh, something along similar lines that that they want it to be delayed, I think, and that they want a bit more consultation on it. Um, some players are very against it. Some players are very for it, including Rory McIlroy. Um, but the the controversy and the reason that this statement from England Golf is interesting is because it's where the transition line is for the model local rule and I believe it would come in at national event level so the English amateur for example would would fit in under this model local rule now of course it's up to organisers they have the choice with which to bring it in or not, it's a model local rule Um, but Slumbers himself, Martin Slumbers, the r and chief exec, talked about it in July at the Open. And I think he said that where he understood elite golf to begin was at under-18 boys level. Wow. Um, so you've got basically, I mean, like national, we're talking national international there. Um, so you've got anything that's national or international, essentially probably falling under the purview of this local rule. And so England golf stakeholders and, uh, and interested parties in the game, of which England golf are clearly a stakeholder in the game, um, they'd been given the opportunity to comment on the proposed MLR, and they did in quite detailed and in quite, in my mind, sensational fashion. So it's
0: an interesting thing because it's, it's like a piece on their website, isn't it? But it's not necessarily something that they've said, here's our statement, everyone. It's just on their website.
1: Yeah, and it just so happened that I tend to go through the new sections of governing bodies' websites, trolling every now and then um, to see what they're all up to. And this this statement was on there, and, and my initial th- thought was, "Damn it, they did this while I was on the holiday." <laughs> and then a quick Google check showed me that no one else had done it yet.
0: Yeah, so so I don't really understand what that, who that's for, and why would you put a comment on your website? Not make it sort of not push it into the public ether. It's obviously a response to um, the RNA's position on the golf ball. Um, But it's a really it is a very interesting thing because um, the USGA and the RNA have made this announcement and they've got they seem to have very few allies among um, the other the other people responsible for the kind of the, the governance of golf.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether whether EG put out a press release about it. I was on holiday. I don't think so. I don't think they did. I've gone through my emails. I can't see it. Um, I mean, I suppose they would see it. I can't speak for them, but I suppose they would see it as just uh, a positioning. This is what our position is as a governing body. Um, but it was... Um, I mean, if you read it, and and I do, I have written about it. Um, I've I've covered a lot of the statement in full, particularly regarding the amateur side of it. They do make some comments on the professional game as well. And the statement's available. If you click on the piece on our website, you can click on the link to the statement. I mean, it's pretty strong stuff, I think. I mean, they, they basically say they don't believe there's an issue within the amateur game in terms of how far the best amateur players hit the ball. They said they've not encountered situations where they consider current or previously used courses obsolete due to the distance elite amateurs are hitting what? the ball.
0: Right. Um, I and mean, that's pretty amazing in itself. I mean, I've played in the Brabazon at Old Woodley with some elite amateurs, and I can tell you that people like Wilco Neenbar were making some of the holes very obsolete.
1: They, I mean, just going on, Tom. They said they had huge concerns over the proposed transition line from amateur club and regional golfers to elite level, and I sympathise with with because we've talked about some of this ourselves. We, you know, we've talked in podcasts about what will happen for those players who play both club, county events, and national events. Are they essentially going to have to tote around two balls? if if that model local rule is implemented. So are they going to have the ball that we all play as club golfers and then a tournament ball that's for use in 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 uh top amateur events. And there is apps. I mean like I don't think there's any doubt here. There is absolutely the prospect of someone coming unstuck there. Someone is going to use the wrong ball in a tournament and they're going to get DQ'd for it. That that is going to happen. It's going to happen. Because it's just human nature, isn't it? Um so anyway Ingo Golf directly said about that they said um some really strong stuff actually they said even if the mlr is not to be specifically directed towards junior golfers under 18 golfers proliferate in open amateur events and the movement of such young golfers between mlr events and not mlr events will be unnecessarily challenging for them and actually unfair that's pretty that's pretty strong stuff and then going on they they said they had some the, some following questions for such golfers which was how would they basically obtain this different mlr product um, would the cost of developing it with a limited market be likely to be passed on to handicap golfers via increased prices is there an expectation that elite amateur golfers will have their ball purchase level demands increased to purchase two different products when would elite amateurs get the chance to practice and or be fitted with golf balls of different playing characteristics given that they'll also be practicing for and competing in non MLR events and how can their elite amateurs consistently develop and improve when they would all in probability be flip-flopping between products throughout their season not massively temperate language is it it's pretty strong. No, and I get
0: what, what surprises me about it and I guess some of the response generally is that the RNA have said like look I, I think that what the the RNA have said and you kind of get this it's a bit like the BBC isn't it the RNA have said something and all of the kind of rollback traditionalists have all said it's not enough it's not enough it's not enough and then everyone else has said what are you doing leave it alone there's nothing wrong um, and I sort of think when that happens, you know they've got it about right because they've sort of offended everybody. Um, my personal view on it is that I think they have got it about right and I think something does need to be done to protect some of the um, traditional venues. It's basically on Augusta Ball, right? We've done this before. But we, we want to be able to keep going back to the Masters and not have people um, driving the third with three wood or whatever. Anyway, so so then that is obviously a big change for the game so what surprises me about the england golf statement or we're sort of discussing it through the prism of the england golf statement is that the the language and the sort of tone of it is very oppositional whereas what they're actually doing is just querying how it will be rolled out so but everyone wants to be able to go back to augusta everyone wants us to be able to go back to um oakmont everyone else wants to be able to go back to it would be great if we could play golf at Cypress Point and other classic courses in the states, right? Um, it would be good if that um, things like the brabazon could keep going to venues like Old Woodley, um, and these clubs not be able to force back tees it. So, I think, and I don't think there is anyone who would necessarily disagree with that, particularly fervently. You understand that there is going to be sort of operational difficulties and logistical difficulties in terms of the rollout, and particularly in that sort of crossover area of the players who are playing for their countries or in national events and therefore going to be sort of playing in two different codes almost um, but it's not unmanageable is it and it's just such a small number of people
1: yeah I mean it's interesting you talk about Cyprus Point because that would be a really good yardstick because the Walker Cup's there in 2025 yeah. isn't it Um, so before this uh, model local rule, if implemented would be would be brought in and i mean we saw enough stuff last week at st andrews didn't we about um you know stories about amateurs driving the six 418 yards and all that sort of stuff so you know the 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 possibility of the old course becoming obsolete is very real and present oh yeah
0: so so i think it's it's a very peculiar thing, isn't it? And it'd be interesting to see how that sort of develops, um, and probably something we should dig into further.
1: I mean, the thing that just struck me about it was, and the, I mean, I I saw this late at night. Actually, I was just trolling about half past nine, and it made me jump up in my. I was like, I was like, lit, lounging around in bed, it made me jump up because it was just like, I read it, and I just thought, has anyone else done this? Because the it was just the tone of it was really, really strong wasn't it normally you just get we are concerned about this you know we, we have we have a number of we, we may, maybe you go as far as the pga Tour says where you say we well, you know we can't support this in 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 its current form but you don't you don't normally see you don't normally see governing bodies saying huge concerns do you
0: no it's very very peculiar very peculiar um but i guess it's a sort of big it's a big topic for people isn't it um and it's going to it's going to rumble I- on and on
1: well, I mean, at elite amateur level, I mean, I know it is, as you say, um, it is a very small percentage of the number of golfers. It's a very small percentage um, who will be effective, you know, a few hundred at most. Um, but for those golfers, uh, they, they, it, is, it is quite a change, isn't it? And there is the possibility of having to get two different balls. Now you go, well, all they have to do is just swap between balls. Well, some someone won't. I've refereed enough events to know that people just make mistakes, um, and someone will get DQ'd because they've forgotten to change the ball.
0: Yeah, it, I, that is, that sort of thing is definitely a risk, isn't it? But it's, but it's not a reason for such a vitriol, no. is it? Anyway, I think it's it's. I'm glad you've written about it. It's worth people going and have a look at the site and have a look at it. Um, lots of people are reading it. Lots of people are interested in it, um, and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how how that. Um, how that whole thing develops so you've got your own manifesto haven't you Steve
1: oh I'm about to get on my soapbox again
0: I think it's a pretty interesting thing because we've sort of discussed you putting all your cards in so you're kind of like well placed to make this point Um, I think it's also sort of linked to the rollback and the kind of length of golf courses um, most of which have been stretched with an inch of their life over the last few years to get some competition tees in for one reason or another Um, And you think it's all wrong, don't you?
1: I I don't think... um, And and there are clubs that do this already, so kudos to you. Um, If you tell me where you are, I might come and join you. (laughs) Um, But um, I am not a big fan of... I never have been, actually, but even more so now that I've had the opportunity to play off different tees with scores counting for handicap. I'm not a big fan of all competitions, all men's competitions being off the back tees. I don't like it. Um, I just find it a bit boring. I find it unnecessarily difficult. Yes, golf's supposed to be a test. Blah blah blah. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy, but it's still supposed to be fun. Um, and if the majority of your golf is over competition, is, is over a competition, and your club has a lot of competitions, and all of your competitions are off back tees only, it's pretty dull. Is it not? Do you not? Do you not think it's pretty dull?
0: Well, so what? So what have you got then at your club in terms of tees?
1: We've got every tee rated for men and women at York.
0: Every tee rated, yeah. But what tees you've actually got? So you've got red, red, yellows, and uh, white. Tr-
1: yeah, traditional. But every set is rated for men and women. We've also got a short winter course as well. That's right. Rated.
0: But then through the summer, your your competitions are all off the white tees, are they?
1: Primarily, yeah. Primarily, our competitions would be off the backs. Um, we do we do run one mixed tea event. Um, it was a trial last year. I think it went pretty successful. They did it again this year. Annoyingly, I couldn't play in it because um, on a midweek, and obviously I work full time. Um, but they do have they do have one um, mixed tee event, and what I am arguing is that clubs should have more.
0: Yeah, I guess. So that is interesting that you play all of your summer golf off the white tees. Um, that must become a bit of a drag. Like it's all, how long is it off the white tees? Uh,
1: sixty three, sixty seven. Which people will say is not very long, um, but you do need to caveat it that it's a par seventy, um, and it's only got two par right. fives. And it's so it does it does punch. It's got I think it's got like six par fours over four. Are we saying
0: Yorks a heathland? Or are we saying it's a parkland?
1: It's a bit of both. It is heathland, but there are a lot of trees there as well. <laughs>
0: You're such a politician. It's Parkland, isn't it? I think, isn't it?
1: It's not. No, it's it's definite Heathland land. It's right next to yeah I know, Yeah, It's right on. It's right on Heathland. It is a Heathland. If you cut all those trees down, it would pretty much. It would pretty soon revert to a heath. Well, that's an idea. <laughs> we've, got, we've got quite. A, we've got quite a lot of heather on the track. Um, you know, the turf is what you would what you would consider to be traditional Heathland turf. You know, you've played it, Tom. It's not massively dissimilar in places to All Woodley in terms of the turf. And that is a proper Heathland track, isn't it, in every respect?
0: Um, so I think it's an interesting point you make. So the sort of, the sort of essence of, sort of Steve's manifesto for competition golf is that the kind of default is just to play off the furthest back tees um, for the weekend competition. And first of all, that's not enough variety. And second of all, that's not enough choice. Um, so we don't do that at Old Woodley. We have um, most of the competition golf is played off the yellow tees, um, which is 6-4 or something. Um, so that would be our midweek medal, our midweek Stableford, our weekend medals and our weekend Stablefords are in the main from the yellow tees. In the summer months, there is a white tee uh, medal at a weekend on, once a month, um, and that is replaced by a blue tee medal in August. So, really, in the season, there is probably six six rounds that are off the further back than the um, than the yellow tees, which again, so there is there is there is probably just as little variety, um, and there is just as little choice. Um, but we are sort of, I guess, playing off a slightly more moderate moderate set of tees, whereas you are being asked to play it right at it its full length. Um, I don't know. I mean. the I think the the purpose of a competition is so people can measure each other against one another, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so I need to put some caveats into this. I'm not suggesting that every competition should be off whatever tees everyone wants. There are premier competitions within a club, trophy competitions, board competitions. I suppose the monthly medal would be put into the same category where it is designed to be a test. It is designed to be the ultimate test. Um, And I would never, ever suggest that those competitions should be um, diversified to the extent of everyone just picking which tee they wanted because someone who wins a big trophy competition who plays off the forward tees Obviously, there are adjustments made within WHS. We can talk about them. Um, But it it would just cause unnecessary controversy, right? And there there is, I fully subscribe to the argument that a board competition, a trophy competition, the course should be at its maximum difficulty because you're playing for the most prestigious prizes within the club. But there are a lot of rank and file competitions as well, Stablefords, midweek Stablefords, for example, you know, Sunday. Stableford's maybe Sunday medals that don't carry the same prestige, that don't carry the same um, the same uh, historical value, and yet often a lot of clubs will still play off those same tees. Now, before WHS, and I'm sure a lot of clubs still do this. You know, there was a distinct different differentiation. Different, I can't say the word, but you know what I mean. Just there no was a difference. distinct difference between I know, there was a distinct difference between competition season and non-competition season. So white teas, to use the old tradition, white teas are for best. Right? You know, you play them during the summer, then they go off. So why don't we do the same with with our competitions? Why are all our competitions always at the limit of the golf course? If the competition isn't a trophy comp, if it's just a standard competition, then why not diversify a bit? Um, and I'm not, I'm thinking about this selfishly because I don't like playing off 6,400 yards. People can, like, people can layer that one at me and I'll, I'll take it on the chin. Um, but, and other people will say, well, this is what the handicap is for because it changes depending on the difficulty of, of the golf course. My argument, if you look at course and slope ratings, is it doesn't really. Um, between white and yellow tees, it might be like a shot. Um, for obviously, obviously, for high handicappers, that might change a bit more, but it doesn't. It doesn't fundamentally change the, the 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 target of it. And I think if we allowed people to play off different tees, we'd actually make competitions some competitions a bit more equitable. For certain players, I'm thinking particularly about older players. I played with an old guy a couple of weeks ago who couldn't make the carry. On a, lot of, on, a, on a number of our holes. His handicap, I can't remember what it was, but it was high. It was like 36 or something like that, and it didn't make any difference. It made no difference. He couldn't make the carry off the white tees. It was essentially pointless for him to have entered the competition at all. Now, he entered the competition because he wants to play golf and he wants to play um, golf with his friends. But if, if we shifted that forward in this competition and we'd said to this guy, you can play off the forward tees, Would it have made a difference to his game? Absolutely, because some of the forward tees are beyond the carry, right? So he's not hitting into the big rough all the time and then taking two to get out or three to get out. So I just think that to give people the option of playing off whichever tees that they wish in certain competitions just makes competitions more equitable, makes them more fair. It makes them more competitive, actually. And the handicap system is built for it. WHS is built around this. It adjusts. Right, so when I played in my uh, mixed tee competition that I played in last year, I chose to play off the forward tees because I, I was obviously doing it for um, for a piece. I think I lost a stroke. I think I lost a stroke on uh, how how I rated, and everyone who decided to play off the back tees for that competition they gained strokes, so they actually got extra strokes.
0: I do, do you yeah. see? It's I don't know, Steve would you just leave things alone steve honestly we like it the way it is
1: no i know people are why you always
0: why you always want to change things
1: do you you know i did get i did someone did pick me up for that and said and and just a kid said it's just so boring
0: i think it's boring (laughs) so i think this is the golf is supposed to be your leisure time right so you're meant to have choice with how you spend your leisure time. And I think that it is annoying if you wake up and you've got the chance to go and play golf on a Saturday and it's the back-team medal, and you just think, I really can't be asked to play the back-team medal. So then your choice is going sort of like not join in with everyone else or not go, or go and do something that you really haven't got the stomach for that day. One of the days that I like the most um. Um, or Woodley is the green tea medal day, which is obviously the shortest tees, and it's like a hit and giggle and a bit of fun. And some days that's just what you're up for, right? Other days you definitely want to go and like try and have a go off the back the blue tees. So I think there is a hundred percent something in being able to give people in what is effectively their recreation time more choice. Hundred percent.
1: I'm going to get criticised for this because there is a section of golfers who. You can't see what I'm doing, obviously, because this is this is not we're not videoing it. Uh, but you were like, you know, flex their muscles, Golf's only golf if it's as hard as it can possibly be, and you know, it's the same sort of greed that when they go to an away course, they always demand to go off the backs, you know, even though the visitors can't go off the backs, they don't demand it because it's, I paid my green fee. I want to take this course on. Do you remember when you guys went to um, was it Dural? And you all and you all played Dural off like the monster. It wasn't me actually, but it was,
0: but it, was it was yeah. I do remember when they did that. Yeah.
1: It's just ridiculous because they're just their games just weren't built for it. But no, we're going to do this because we're men. That um, they shot eighty five and God, like couldn't even make some of the par threes, and you just go like, what? Well, why? Why do it? Um, I, so as I say, I'm not saying this should be every competition. Um, I do know of some courses that provide a choice. Um, so you can have a back tea medal, but they'll also have a separate yellow tea medal for events and they'll like run it as a separate competition. But you don't need to run it as a separate competition. You know, mixed T events within WHS provides the for the possibility of everybody playing in the same event and feeling like they're part of the same thing. And WHS gets a lot of stick, right? And we've not been above you know putting our ore into it as well but this is another good thing i think about whs the the opportunity whether you're a man woman boy girl um whether you're 90 or whether you're 10 to be able to compete in the same tournament off different tees and and play in the same event i personally think that is a very good thing um i don't know why there would be opposition to that um on a you know on a sort of semi regular basis, well, as I've explained,
0: yeah. because because Steve, <clears throat> we're all as like liberal and woke as you are, and like trying to give it, give everyone a hug. Like a lot of the people who are playing golf um, are obviously older um, or are sort of age and above. A lot of people have come to golf as, a, as their was their second sport, and they used to play Sunday league football, or they used to play cricket, or whatever else, which they can no longer do. So they're desperately trying to replicate the, um, the idea of something competitive at their weekend, right, where they can measure themselves against their peers and all the rest of it. Um, and I think you sort of trying to dilute that to sort of make golf a bit more of a hit and a giggle and something that is inclusive first and competitive second. Whereas I think a lot of people would have the opposite mindset where they want they want that element of competition on a Saturday. They want to win the voucher. They want to win the pot. And they want that competition to be as equitable as possible, and that sort of starts with playing off the same tees. Um, there's a space for both, right enough. But I think we do need you do one does need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater with all these changes. Is that people want to turn up and play a competition? You don't when you when you turn up to play football on a Sunday. It's it's the, you do you have different age groups of football team, and you have. Uh, seven aside and five aside and eleven aside for people who want to take it differently. But you play an eleven aside league, and it's the same rules every week, and that's how you measure how good you are. Um, so I think that for for some people, that the, the you need that sort of element of serious competition because that's what they're getting from it.
1: Yeah. yeah, but do you need that element of serious competition all the time? Is what is what. The point I make. I, I've never argued. I mean, I, I argued earlier on, didn't I, that the most prestigious competitions within the club, the big trophy competitions, the board competitions, the historic competitions, should always be at you know the, the course at its most brutal, at its most testing, because they're they're the they're the tournaments that every golfer <coughs> aspires I think, to win. But there can be choice within the, that. I as think well.
0: in, in your sort of manifesto where on the Saturday, so in the Saturday comp, if you choose what tees you play off and then everyone is in the same competition, then you will then just end up in arguments about whether the course ratings are correct, like what the score, are the differentials correct? There's just more things to fall out about, right? Because there's more guesswork. Um. So, but I do, I do massively take your point that it's your leisure time and you should get to choose. So this, there should be, there should, I think you're on something with the more variety definitely.
1: I'm opening up for debate anyway, which is the point. So feel free to at me wherever you find me on social media about it. Um, We'll have a piece on our website about this in a couple of days where I'll expand on it a bit more. Um, By all means, get stuck in.
0: Um, Well, I enjoyed that, Steve. People in in podcast land call it a far-ranging debate, a wide-ranging debate covering a lot of ground, don't they? I feel like we've caught caught up. I feel like I've got a kind of um, Lou Reed sort of voice. (laughs) Um, And I feel like it's probably time to go, isn't it?
1: Yes. So, as always, are you going to do the outro? You do it. I'm going
0: to do the outro. I'm going to say that that was excellent. I'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of it. Uh, I think we're going to start throwing out some ideas for podcasts to our listeners and to our colleagues. So expect some new material coming your way. Uh, we thought, We also need to get a guest on, don't we? We're a bit short on guests.
1: We we haven't had we haven't had a guest since um, James Bledge. where the two of us have been the two of us have been there since James yeah. Blade. Yeah.
0: So that must happen. Anyway, do give us a follow on um, whatever wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And do let us know what you think about Steve's manifesto for multi-team medals uh, and anything you've got to say about the distance debate or indeed submitting every score for your handicap. Thanks again, Steve. Cheers, Tom.